Hello and welcome to episode number 74 of The Draft presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and I'm joined, as always, by Tony Pauline as we wrap up our draft review season here with the final two teams in the NFC West, the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the Niners get their quarterback back after Jimmy Garoppolo missed most of 2018 due to injury, while the Seahawks brought their quarterback back after re-signing Russell Wilson to a massive contract. And both of these teams are hoping to compete with the Los Angeles Rams for a division title in 2019 with their franchise guys now established under center. Yeah, and two teams that are rebuilding sort of in differing ways. The, the Seahawks, because they had a uh, an overage or a veteran roster that needed to be replaced, and they had to make some harsh cuts because of the salary cap. And the San Francisco 49ers, because you know they've been rebuilding from the ground up because they've been bad for so long. And yeah, this is an important season for uh, San Francisco 49er general manager John Lynch. He's had the past two drafts, 2017-2018, drafts that look really good on paper, but you really haven't translated well onto the field. I think he got a bit of a, a breather, in a sense, last year when Garoppolo went down early with the injury. That kind of gave him an excuse. But what looks good on paper has really got to start to translate to wins and losses, or John Lynch may be in trouble. Now, San Francisco had their choice at number two between Ohio State defensive end Nick Bosa and Alabama defensive tackle Quinnen Williams. Now, the combination of the controversy, or might be strong to call it a controversy, but the discussion over some political comments made by Nick Bosa in the lead-up to the draft, combined with him leaving school early after injuring his groin, and San Francisco having drafted several defensive ends early over the past few years in those drafts you mentioned in the intro, didn't seem to make John Lynch shy away from drafting Bosa here at number two. Now, he's a guy who can play both the run and the pass, may not be the pure edge rusher in this draft in terms of the top guy, as we've discussed here on this show in the past, but he was easily the most complete defensive end available in the draft. Now, he could help himself by adding some weight. He's about 266 pounds right now, already got hurt in camp, so he needs to get back on the field first and foremost, but he's a very good athlete, refined technique overall, and really should make an impact right away if he can get on the field. Yeah, I think the controversy over his comments was a lot of uh, hullabaloo about nothing. You know, it was either him or, or it was Quinn and Williams. And they traded for D Ford right before the draft. And as we had mentioned numerous times on this podcast, you know, the contract they signed to D Ford was a team friendly contract, which wasn't going to stop them from drafting Nick Boza. And I, I think you could say that Nick Boza is the better player now than Quentin Williams, although I think you can make the case that Quentin Williams, who was selected a pick later by the New York Jets, has the higher upside. But as you said, I think he's a complete player. He's just got to get a little bit stronger. He's got to add some bulk to his frame. He's got to show some durability. You know, the only question about this pick is they've gone so heavy on the defensive line in uh, what what is this now? Four of the last five drafts, they've taken a defensive lineman in the first round. And three of those guys were top 10 picks. And now one of their very early selections in 2017, Solomon Thomas, is now a backup. That can put you in salary cap hell down the line. But then again, you know, they couldn't move down and get what they wanted in a trade. They had to go with Boza. You know, all in all, you got to like the pick, but it's got to produce this fall. Now, the Niners did need some extra weapons on offense as well for Jimmy Garoppolo, and they addressed that need on day two by grabbing South Carolina wide receiver Debo Samuel in the second round and Baylor wide receiver Jalen Hurd in the third. Now, Samuel was arguably the most complete receiver in this draft, along with A.J. Brown from Ole Miss. While he falls just shy of six feet tall and lacks a monster catch radius, 
those are really the main weaknesses in Debo Samuel's game. He's sturdy at 214 pounds. He was easily the best wide receiver at this year's Senior Bowl, separated from the cornerbacks there with ease, thanks to both his excellent route running and the quickness that he comes out of his breaks with. He also has the speed and explosiveness to both get behind the defense and make plays with the ball in his hands. He's an effective returner, which even if he's not used in that role at the NFL level, it's something that we've discussed NFL teams prioritizing in terms of their wide receivers and players with return experience in college do tend to translate to the league better as well. So Samuel seems like a very safe pick here with more upside than a lot of people give him credit for. Hurd, on the other hand, is all about upside now. He's a former running back who's truly massive for a receiver. He's almost six foot five, 226 pounds. It's also massive for a running back, but he's an intriguing player overall, not only because of the versatility of playing both of those positions, but because of his talent. He was extremely productive as a receiver in his first year at the position full-time for Baylor last year. So there's lots of room for growth with her. And even if he doesn't quite develop as a receiver, he's paired up with a really good offensive mind in Kyle Shanahan, who has a good chance of maximizing his skill set whichever way. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about Samuel is he's not a true deep threat. He doesn't have that great second gear, which is, you know, what knocked him out of the first round. But, you know, I, I thought this was an excellent pick. I thought Debo Samuel, I had him graded as an early second round choice all along. I think this is a great fit for this offense. He's a terrific route runner. He, he knows how to separate, not just physically, but mentally. I think he's going to build a quick rapport with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think this was an excellent selection for a team that needs receivers. I think Samuel's going to produce as a rookie, quickly break into the starting lineup. Jalen Hurd, I have my concerns about. You mentioned his size. I've stated all along, I think Jalen Hurd, his ultimate position is going to be as a move tight end. Now, no teams have looked at him as a move tight end moving towards the draft, but when you watch him play, he plays like a tight end. He doesn't have that natural receiver quickness or speed. As you said, he's a big guy who plays big football. You know, is he a big natural possession receiver at this point in time? We'll have to wait and see. I, I thought the third round was a little bit early for Hurd, who's very undeveloped. I mean, he's a size guy who's flashed as a receiver, but he really uh, is very rough around the edges. He's going to need a little bit of time. He's got the skill. It's just a matter of developing him and coaching him to play to his ability and really just learning the receiver position. Now, the Niners had five third-day picks. They took Utah punter Mitch Wisnowski in round four, Arkansas linebacker Dre Greenlaw in round five, and Stanford tight end Caden Smith, Vanderbilt tackle Justin School, and Virginia cornerback Tim Harris in round six. They didn't have a seventh-round pick. Now, Wisnowski is a guy, he has all the traits you look for in a punter, but the fourth round is still really high for a specialist, so I do question that pick a little bit there, just in terms of value. Greenlaw is a pursuit linebacker who San Francisco reportedly plans to use as a Sam linebacker, to me, that's a really interesting fit for a player who kind of struggles holding up against blocks. He's a bit smaller for a linebacker, but he does have that backup linebacker special teamer profile that teams really tend to look for on the third day. Caden Smith isn't going to bring speed to the tight end room. Obviously, San Fran has plenty of it with George Kittle at the position, but Smith is 6'5", and he's a much better pass catcher than he is an athlete. He's also a decent blocker and probably could end up as a solid backup with the chance of maybe becoming a low-end starting tight end down the line in a couple of years. School isn't particularly powerful or athletic, but he's almost six foot seven. He's 321 pounds, really uses his technique and fundamentals to maximize the abilities that he does have, and he could be a potential backup, maybe a swing tackle down the line at the NFL level. Lastly, Tim Harris is a guy who probably fell out of the draft due to injury concerns. Solid size at over six foot one, 197 pounds. 
hits hard, shows good ball skills, but he missed nearly all of 2016 and 2017 due to shoulder and wrist issues. But he's a guy who can definitely outkick his draft slot if he can stay on the field and maintain health at the NFL level. Yeah, I don't think the fourth round is too early for a punter, especially when he's going to be your, your starting punter. It's just a matter of, you know, can he be consistent? Because what happens with a lot of rookie uh, punters, especially guys that are relatively, you know, early to mid-round picks is they show a lot of inconsistency. He's got the leg. He's got the physical skills. He's kicked in bad weather. You know, it, it's just a matter of him playing consistent football and playing up to his level of ability. So I have no problem with that selection. You know, Greenlaw, like you said, he basically moves to the outside after playing inside linebacker. But in that 4-3 system that San Francisco employs, I think he'll do a good job. He's fast. He's instinctive. He does a good job with his reads. He quickly gets from point A to point B. There may be some mismatches in coverage because he's a shorter guy, but he's got the athleticism and he's got the uh, smarts. You know, like you said, Caden Smith, if Caden Smith runs in the four sevens, he's a second day pick. Caden Smith could not break four nine at the combine. He didn't run during his pro day. He's a very good football player, but he's not a good athlete. I think he could eventually develop into a very good, relatively inexpensive number two tight end at the next level. I fully expect him to make the active roster this fall as a number three. I love Justin School. Love the selection in round six. I'm glad he got drafted. I think we had him as a seventh round pick. He's not the prettiest tackle. He's not the most athletic tackle, but he's a big guy who knows how to use his size as an advantage. He makes great use of angles. He makes great use of body positioning. He can play left tackle. He can play right tackle. And as you said, I think he's going to be a very inexpensive backup as a swing tackle, and I fully expect him to make it. Tim Harris, when I watched Tim Harris as a sophomore, I said this guy has got the ability to be a big-time cornerback prospect. But as you pointed out, you know, basically his career was rife with injuries the next two seasons. Came back this year, had a solid season, looked good at the uh, during Shrine Game practices. He's got the size and speed that, that match up with just about any cornerback in this year's draft. He's flashed the ball skills, but he's got a late-round medical, even as a free agent medical grade, which is why he fell. It's a matter of him staying healthy and really starting to build upon the flashes he showed as a sophomore and what he showed uh, at times as a senior this year and being more consistent in those aspects. Now, not a ton of note in free agency for the 49ers. They added another receiver in Arizona, Sean Poindexter, who's nearly 6'5 and a good red zone threat. But he never stood out on the stat sheet and lacks the athletic ability to be anything more really than a depth piece at the NFL level. Penn State defensive tackle Kevin Givens is a three technique who wins with his first step. But he also shows some ability in lateral pursuit, although he lacks both the height and weight to be an asset against the run or on early downs. What stands out to you here, Tony? Yeah, they, they also signed another inside linebacker who had a knee injury. I mean, they signed Quan Alexander, the big money in free agency, who's coming off a knee injury. Aziza Shear from uh, Florida Atlantic is the guy who a lot of people thought if he had stayed healthy, could have been a middle-round choice. He's probably going to be destined for the practice squad. And someone else to keep an eye on, uh, Jamel Garcia-Williams from UAB, a, a big, tall pass rusher and edge rusher. We have a scouting report on him at draftanalyst.com. He was a guy that wasn't graded coming into the season, just showed flashes of brilliance at times last year at UAB, a defense that had a good amount of talent on him. I don't think he makes the active roster. I think he's one of those guys that will impress in summer camp and find his way onto a practice squad. Now, overall, it was a solid draft for San Francisco. They didn't do anything flashy, but Nick Bosa is a Pro Bowl talent as long as injuries don't derail him. Debo Samuel is nearly guaranteed, in my opinion, to be a contributor to some extent. And their later picks have some combination of upside or they filled holes on the depth chart. 
you know, at least from my perspective, when the only thing you can really knock is a fourth round punter and a pick that you don't really knock, you did pretty well here, right, John Lynch? I agree, but again, you know, what looks good on paper is not translated onto the field for the 49ers and John Lynch. So this has got to transfer into production on the field. You want to see immediate production from Nick Bosa. You also want to see him stay healthy. As you said, we expect big things from Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd, and Mitch Wisniewski. We're going to have to wait and see. I think they also did a good job in the fifth and sixth round getting guys that can be depth players and potential active roster players down the road. Now we'll storm into Seattle in just a moment here, but before that, Please support the Draft Analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch. Now on to the Seahawks to wrap things up here for our draft review season. And they started the draft with two first-round picks after they got one back from Kansas City in the Frank Clark trade. They moved back from pick 21, which was their original pick, to pick 30 with Green Bay. And they picked up a pair of fourth-round picks there. And then again, they moved back from pick 30 to pick 37 with the Giants to pick up a fourth and a fifth. So in the end, they dropped 16 spots, and they gained three picks early on the third day. Or sorry, four picks early on the third day. Now, they did stay put with that 31st pick that they got from Kansas City, and they took TCU defensive end L.J. Collier. Now, it's basically tradition at this point for the Seahawks' first-round pick to be kind of out of nowhere and a player few considered to be an option in round one. Collier fits that M.O. almost to a T. He's not a great athlete, lacks ideal size, but overall he's just good at football. They saw a nice production jump as a senior. These are the kind of players, though, who tend to go in round two in the NFL draft, not to say that they perform like second-rounders throughout their career, but that is where Collier was graded on our board. And while the end of round one can basically be viewed as round two, it feels like Seattle reached a bit here. Do you agree, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, someone told me a couple of weeks ago that the Seattle Seahawks did not have a first-round grade on L.J. Collier, but he just thought he was a perfect fit for their system, and it was a position of need. So, you know, like you said, they have pulled surprises in the past. I had heard after his pro day that people were talking about Collier being a first-round pick, and I refused to believe it. I, I just did not see it. Obviously, I was wrong, and the people who told me were right. I mean, he's an explosive guy. He plays up to his level of ability. As you said, he was terrific during the senior bowl. I just don't see a bunch of upside. What I see here is a need pick and a system fit. We'll have to see if it works out. Now, Seattle traded back again, this time from pick 37 to pick 47, to pick up a third-rounder and draft Utah safety Marquise Blair, then they moved up from that third-round pick they got in that trade and added one of the fours they got earlier to get to pick 64 and draft Old Miss wide receiver D.K. Metcalf. The Seahawks also moved up four spots to grab Utah linebacker Cody Barton in the middle of round three. Now, Blair is a player we liked, but we rated him as a fifth-rounder. He's a good athlete who hits hard, shows ability and coverage, so he does have a starter profile as somebody who can play both against the run and against the pass, but there are also some off-field issues at play here and. Really taking him in the top 50 robs the pick of most of its tangible upside. He's probably not going to end up playing like a top 30 player in this draft. So while if he hits, he ends up being a decent player, it does seem like they were kind of took him at his ceiling here. Metcalf, though, was a really nice pick to close out the second round. We weren't particularly high on him here, at least when it came to the early first round talk that came about after his combine workout and the photo that you see of him in the gym without his shirt on. But Metcalf overall was still a borderline top 30 player on our board. Yes, his route tree is limited. Yes, he struggles to slow down into his breaks and really is the definition of a linear athlete. 
But there's a great deal of big play potential here. And to get that at the end of round two was worth the move up, especially when you have a strong-arm quarterback like Russell Wilson, who's not afraid to challenge in the deep field. Cody Barton is a guy kind of similar to Collier in the sense that both were overdrafted and both are good football players. Now, Barton at least tested well in Indy at the Combine, although he really doesn't play to those marks on the field. If he can translate that athleticism and combine it with the toughness and the instincts that he showed on Saturdays, the Seahawks could see returns on this pick in the end. Yeah, Blair had a lot of off-the-field issues that scared people away. The problem with Blair is he just doesn't show a lot of consistency. He'll make some highlight reel film play type of plays, and then he will disappear for stretches. So that was my main concern with Blair, as well as the off-the-field issues. DK Metcalf, listen, they got him late in round two. We never had him graded as a first-round pick, or we never really talked about him, as you said, as an early first-round pick. He's a great athlete. He's a decent pass catcher. He's not a good receiver. He's got to learn to run routes. He's got to be more consistent catching the ball with his hands. He's got to show better awareness. He's got a tremendous amount of upside. But, I I mean, here's a guy that really has no guarantees in his game. Cody Barton, like you said, you know, he tested much better than anybody expected at the Combine. But he plays to a fraction of that speed and quickness. He's a smart guy, but he just doesn't show that speed in pursuit. He's not quick getting to the ball. I wouldn't have taken him or Marky Brown in the uh, Marky Blair. I'm sorry, in the second day of the draft, I thought they were both last day type of guys. We'll see what happens. Now, as a result of all those trades, Seattle had a boatload of third day picks, taking West Virginia wide receiver Gary Jennings, Wake Forest guard Phil Haynes, and Oregon defensive back Ugo Amadi in round four. Washington linebacker Ben Burkirvan was the pick in round five, and then Seattle mined the state of Florida in round six grabbing Miami running back Travis Homer and Florida State defensive tackle DeMarcus Christmas. They rounded out their draft with Hawaii wide receiver John Ursua in the seventh round. Now we'll start with Jennings, who really flew under the radar in the shadow of teammate David Sills at West Virginia. But to be honest, he was the better player last season. And he also projects better to the NFL. Now I know Tony may disagree with that, but Jennings is a guy who has the size to be a possession receiver, played that role for much of his WVU career. But he also has... 4-4-2 speed that he showed off at the Combine. He also showed that off a bit on the 2018 film, Getting Downfield. Another guy that has that returnability we talk about as an added bonus, and he's a potential starter down the line if he develops, which is a good pick to kind of mitigate the risk of the DK Metcalf back earlier in the draft. Now, Phil Haynes is a guy who took a step back last season, but he's a powerful blocker, good size, good strength, and underrated athleticism. So let's see if Seattle can get him back on track. Madi isn't even five foot ten. Most likely he's going to be a safety at the NFL level, which is going to be very tough at that height. But he does play both the run and the pass very well and could settle into roles kind of a nickel safety special team or guy who sees action in sub packages but doesn't ever truly elevate his game to become a starter. Well, I kind of agree with you on Gary Jennings. I don't think he was the better player last year at West Virginia. I think Sills was a much better player. But I absolutely agree because of his size and speed numbers, he's the better pro prospect or he has the greater upside. I mean, we had uh, him ranked just below David Sills, and I had him as a fifth rounder. He went around earlier where Sills wasn't even drafted. It's a matter of getting Jennings to play to those size and speed numbers on a consistent basis. And more than anything else, getting him quickly acclimated to an NFL type of system rather than that wide open system that they played at West Virginia. Absolutely agree with you on Phil Haynes. I mean, coming into the season, a lot of teams like Phil Haynes as a potential top 100 pick. He fell off. He did not play uh, up to expectations in 2018. When he was out at the NFLPA game, he 
practice one day and he got injured, but teams were very impressed with him during wayouts and they were very impressed with his one day of practices, which is why he was pushed into the fourth round. He's a big bodied offensive lineman who can be a dominant force, but he just has to consistently play up to his level of ability. If he does that, he could be a starter. I liked Ugo Amadi a lot. I had him more as a late rounder. I didn't think he was going to be a fourth rounder. They have him listed at cornerback here at Seattle. I had him as a safety, which is the position he played at Oregon. You know, it was a situation with Amadi where size was the limiting factor, but he was a relatively fast guy. He was a tough guy. He was a good football player with outstanding instincts. And, you know, you, you think with uh, Seattle, they want the bigger defensive backs. I could absolutely see Amadi making the active roster this year as a dime back in a zone type system and a special teams player. He has that ability. The only thing he doesn't have and he's never going to have is the size and the speed, especially the size that we're accustomed to seeing in the uh, Seahawks defensive uh, secondary. Now we'll roll through the rest of Seattle's day three picks here, starting with Ben Burkirvin, the guy who was highly productive with the Washington Huskies, but he's 230 pounds, may max out as a special teamer in the league, but he is the kind of athlete and the kind of producer that does tend to overachieve in the NFL. So we'll kind of have to track his career and see if he gets off to a hot start in his first year or two in the league. Homer is a third down back who could be what C.J. Proceis never was in Seattle, mostly as a result of injuries. But the Seahawks do need a pass catching back behind Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Jamie McKissick has also had his share of injury issues as well. So there is a definite chance for Homer to play a role in this offense. Demarcus Christmas was a good value pick in the sixth round, has more of a three-technique skill set, but he's 6'3 and a half, 294 pounds. He could actually add some strength to that frame, which would improve his ability to shed blocks and make more of an impact against the run. John Ursua led the nation in receiving touchdowns in 2018 for Hawaii, guy who creates good separation, and Seattle may envision him as a potential slot replacement for the retired Doug Baldwin. Now, obviously, they don't expect him to play to that level, that Doug Baldwin played at, but I think Seattle does expect some things from Ursu as a slot guy. Yeah, I like the selection of Ben Burkhurvin in the fifth round a lot more than I like Cody Barton in round three. You know, the only thing is with the Seattle, you got Bobby Wagner there, you got KJ Wright. They uh, got they selected Shaquem Griffin last year, so I, I think both uh, Cody Barton as well as Ben Burkhurvin are depth guys. Although I think Ben Burkhurvin is is the better athlete, or he plays faster. Let's say on film, he's more intense. That's not to take anything away from Cody Barton. That's just really uh, Ben Burkhurvin plays with like his hair's on fire. And he's a guy who I think will be a very good backup linebacker, special teamer. Travis Homer's a depth player. He's a situational ball carrier who's not a bad pass catcher out of the backfield. Demarcus Christmas is a guy who's up and down. I mean, at times people thought he could be a third round pick. We saw him at the senior ball. He flashed brilliance, but he doesn't consistently play at a high level. He's got the size. He's got the ability. It's just a matter of him uh, applying it all the time. I think Ursua is a guy who flashes big time skill. He's small. He's going to have to make it as a special team or potential punt returner. Now, the Seahawks grabbed over a dozen free agents after the draft. Northwestern State wide receiver Jazz Ferguson was an LSU transfer and a former top recruit. Similar size to DK Metcalf, good speed and explosiveness, but also similar to Metcalf in terms of his linear build as an athlete and his limited route tree. But in the end, there is definite upside here if Ferguson can stay on the straight and narrow. Obviously had to transfer out of LSU to a smaller school because of some off-field issues got things back together, now has a shot at the NFL. Let's see if he can make the most of it. 
Baylor cornerback Derek Thomas is six foot three and runs a four four five forty yard dash. So that alone is well worth a UDFA flyer. Does need work on his general awareness and tends to lose connection to receivers out of his breaks. But if he can develop a bit on the mental side, he could be a nice find here after the draft for the Seahawks. Anything you like, Tony? They signed two intriguing guys at defensive tackle that I like. Brian Moan out of Michigan, who doesn't have the great size, but he's very explosive, quick off the snap. He plays with great intensity. I like him a lot. Then they went with another hometown type of guy, J.T. Tooley of uh, Eastern Washington. Someone who at one point in time was playing at 344 pounds last year at Eastern Washington, got down to about 312 for his pro day. He's a very talented guy. He came into the 2017 season with a draftable grade by scouts, but he was injured. He sat on the sidelines, came back last year, was kind of inconsistent, but when he's on his game, he can dominate the opposition. Doubt he makes the active roster. I could definitely see him uh, being placed on a practice squad this year. And Devontae Davis of uh, Texas, who was at the Combine. He's got outstanding size, the size that the Seahawks like in their defensive secondary. He's got good speed, just very inconsistent in his game. Again, a, a guy who I think you'll find on a practice squad this summer. Now, in many ways, this was a typical Seattle Seahawks draft. Lots of trades, lots of picks, several reaches, and just some overall confusing selections. Tony, what would you make of it? Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I mean, you know, Collier is a good player, but was he worth a first-round pick? Blair is a good player at times. Was he worth a second-round pick? DK Metcalf, absolutely worth the roll of the dice with the 64th selection of the draft. You know, Cody Barton, let's go back to what I say with LJ Collier. Gary Jennings, go back to what I say with DK Metcalf. Excellent size and speed, but needs work on his game. I think there are some good fits here, but I think there's also a bit of bust factor in this draft. And that's all for the 74th episode of the Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We're now officially through all 32 teams in our draft reviews, but you should still head over to draftanalyst.com to check out some of our recent shows, in addition to checking out our treasure trove of scouting reports that cover a good deal of the UDFAs that were signed around the league for all teams here, in addition to, obviously, their drafted players. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi, and we'll talk to you soon.